This is The Solid Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm David Craner. It's never been easier to go from idea to digital design to physical product. The new hardware movement is radically changing the way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and connected. This podcast brings you the new generation of hardware creators who work across the boundary between digital and physical. They're designers, engineers, scientists, artists, and business people. For more information on the new hardware movement and the resources you need to become a full-stack hardware creator, visit O'Reilly.com hardware. And if you'd like to send in a question for us to discuss on the show, email us at hardware at O'Reilly.com. So Marcelo Coelho is a designer who worked on the Alike Bands at the Solid 2015 conference. And Colin Rainey uh, is the head of, what is your actual title now? Head of CMO, head of... We just, we make 3D printers. We make the best 3D printers. At Formlabs, make really good 3D printers there. There's the small design firm business to talk about. There's this exciting new 3D printer uh, from Formlabs that was launched uh, just the other day to talk about. So there's the there's the pop-up factory in general to there's talk the about. General. Um because I always love rehashing our victories. Um Solid 2015 was a pretty spectacular show and and the most spectacular single part of it I think was the work that the three of you guys did on the um pop-up factory which people who are at the show will remember, people who weren't would be interested to know was an extraordinary demonstration of how easy it's become to manufacture stuff. So this was live manufacturing on the floor of the conference of a a uh, device, a connected device that Marcelo created called the Alike Band, whose electronics were being created by Seed Studio uh, and whose enclosures were being created by Formlabs and As Protolabs well. right on the floor of the conference. I remember it being really hard. How about you, Craner? I remember it being <laughs> hard. From what I remember, <laughs> I haven't completely blocked out. Guys, 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 hold up, hold up. Is hardware hard? Oh, yeah. Well, you know. It's pretty I hard. Think, I think the, the jury's still out on hardware, John. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, we did, well, I mean, it was with Marcelo's project. We decided we wanted to do a pop-up factory demonstration at Solid this year. And so once we got the go-ahead from that, from the higher-ups, we needed to get some people on the phone and actually figure out how to make something happen. So the first question was, what are we going to make in the pop-up factory? And so the new Marcelo was making this device that was useful for conferences. So we called them, called him, called up Seed Studio because they do low-volume circuit board manufacturing. We also knew Proto Labs because I know that you and I have also worked with them before doing quick turn injection molded parts for getting enclosures out the door. Um, but then there was this new thing to mess around with, which was the, the the 3D printing angle. And I know that you'd done some 3D printing for your previous deployments of the Alike bands, but this one was extra special because we needed to make a whole lot more of them. And we also wanted everyone to be completely unique as well. I, I remember when we sat down for lunch and you'd sort of, you and Marcelo were conceiving of the idea. And I, the thing that I thought was so interesting was the experience that you guys wanted to create, which I, I think, I don't know of any other place besides Solid you could do that and have people really sort of get into and kind of grok the experience. I remember that, you know, we were we were kind of trying to work through what would make things interesting and what would kind of push the technologies. Because there was always like, you can definitely use Protomold to get all the enclosures and they're really good partner but then could you have the 3d printers well what would you need to do 
to make those interesting because if the 3D printer was just making the same thing over and over, it wasn't really exploring any of the technology. So then if you want to push it and explore something that's not been done, it's a factory that makes literally a unit of one and does around 80 of them an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like 3D printing is not going to replace manufacturing. No. It's going to make it better. That's right. You know, and it's going to allow people to do unique things that yeah, they couldn't do before things. on the spot mm-hmm. as they wanted and change it. It was really cool during the conference because people would come in and they would look at the designs and pick one and then they would go for a walk and meet other people, see something else that they like, come back and be like, hey, I saw this other design. Can I change mine? And that was really nice, that kind of idea that you could pick something and come back and sort of retool your, your and totally customize your, your device. Yeah. Yeah, because you just go back to the, you just, I mean, imagine any other product where like if it's not working or you wish that some design feature about it was different. Could you just walk back to the factory and hand it over the counter and be like, hey, could you just yeah. give me a different one of these? And then be like, sure. Like, it's it's not a thing that happens very often. No, and I think that's kind of how things used to be made, right? It's like you'd walk to your shoemaker and be like, hey, here's my foot. Can you make this part a little bit stronger or make this a little bit bigger? Mm-hmm. And people yeah. used to do that. Yeah, it's a kind of like highly technical artisanship that, that you guys engaged in. It was also the manufacturer was unique, but then Marcelo's design had a unique interaction in it. For the people at the conference, you would actually configure, you know, your preferences in the band. And when you were close to someone, the band would glow. So it was both a unique manufacturing experience and then a unique wearing experience. So I, I just thought it captured so much, you know, that, that will come in so many of the products that we will own very soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like for you guys doing? I mean, that was, that was probably the largest scale of of like manufacturing installation mm-hmm. that you guys have tried, right? Like, I mean, I know a lot of people think of 3D printing as 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 like a prototyping tool, as a low volume tool. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who are excited about the future for when 3D printing might actually be used for like real full on manufacturing. But like, what was it? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? I mean, one thing we wanted to experiment with was like, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but what happens if we actually get a wall of 12 3D printers right. and just have them churning out stuff and giving them to people like right there? Yeah, I mean, to... I think the biggest installation of sort of a 3D printing factory setup um, prob- that I know of is around Invisalign braces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are, they, they scan your teeth, they run it through an algorithm, they move the teeth around, and they print out the evolution of how your teeth will move when these braces are there. They print them all out, and then they vacuum form on top of them. So that, but, but the difference there is they have intended and designed that to be a factory that runs through processes. I think for us, you know, getting a bunch of printers and setting them up super easy because the printers themselves are simple, it was designing the process and thinking about the throughput and how we had to make unique items and how those items had to be batched up and how they had to be loaded and how they'd be printed, which was very different from us beca- for us because most of the time you're you're just printing one thing or you're, you're trying, you're experimenting with an, an N of one versus like, oh no, 80 of these have to come out an hour and they have to be, you know, we have to orient them right and they have to, you know, look great, stuff like that. But yeah, doing that, it in parallel is really interesting and, and it called to mind, uh, you know, what, what Carl Bass said in his keynote at Solid back in 2014, that this this is the first time in history in, in computation yes. where um, a second of computing time on a thousand machines simultaneously costs about the same as a thousand seconds of computing time on one machine. Wow. And you guys almost almost like acted that out in physical form, you know, that, that mm-hmm. you were you had 12 machines going in parallel, creating slightly different mm-hmm. um, objects on, on each one. What I think is really interesting about this stuff, and, and we had done a project before where we, I think we printed maybe, I want to say like 250 different pieces of, of parts of wristbands. Um, 
is that we're getting to this point now where the difference between injection molding and 3D printing is, is, is almost irrelevant, you know? It's like if you start looking at cost and time, it's kind of the same thing. So so it gets to a point where you're like, why injection mold? And it, because once you start printing, you can design and print at the same time. You could you mm-hmm. can start producing as you start designing, right? To say, hey, let's start making, oh, we've made 100. Okay, let's tweak this little part of the design because now that we have 100, mm-hmm. we know that maybe the design is not as good anymore. And, yeah. and that is really powerful. It's not only the zero tooling cost aspect, it's the instantaneous feedback loop aspect, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Because inje- injection molding has this point where, I, and, and, and I love injection molding, it's really, it's really cool how you can get a bunch of stuff really fast, um, but it has a cutoff point, right? You, have, you design, 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 and eventually you have to say, stop it, now let's, let's produce. Mm-hmm. And with printing, you don't have to do that. I think that's, that was one of the more interesting things I saw happen with uh, the installation, because in old factories, there's a, there's a very serious barrier which once you cross it, you have different roles and tools and rules for all the people and how they synchronize themselves. And this idea of a pop-up factory, that blurs that line a lot, right? The designer who made it is also printing all these things. So they're wearing many hats. And I think I think that was part of the stress yeah. that can happen in that moment. But I think how do you have software and tools that help accommodate for that? You know, so you don't you don't have to so we made you guys generated 500 or 400 different designs, but then somebody had to go through and lay them out in the build platform and print them. So there will be advances that, or there will need to be advances that those things kind of happen naturally so the designer can stay the designer. Yeah, It seems to me that like the software side is actually lagging a little bit behind the hardware side when it comes to, to, you know, large scale rapid manufacturing and rapid prototyping and stuff. Because we now have 3D printers that fit on your desk that that work pretty well. And I think it's going to take another paradigm shift, you know, another quantum leap in technology to get that happening but i the big thing i see people struggling with is just like where does the content come from and how do i load it into the machines and how do i design it but also where do i find it and i think the whole digital side of that stuff actually needs to have some some pickup yeah there's still a moment right where where the physical stuff loses its connection to the digital Mm -hmm. and i think being able to maybe bring that back at the end could be kind of interesting as well right because i mean through the pop-up factory, we transform manufacturing into an entirely digital process, I think, right? It's like you, you could see it permeating through the entire thing, right? The pick-and-place machine mm-hmm. is controlled digitally. You know, the printers are printing. There's, like, like digital Yeah, like models. the, like, abstraction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Seed Studio, they're like, we have these tools and we have these parts. And we'll bring them and we'll do it. And then Form Labs is like, we have these printers and we can make this type of thing and whatever. And so it's all much more modularized. I mean, traditionally, a product development process is very intertwined. I mean, the whole thing seemed to come together uh, about six people working part-time on that and all the other things they had to do in like three weeks yeah, yeah. It, i mean it was sort of core of it was it. a mad dash but it was really impressive what came together in that time and i think the modular aspect of it and the powerful tools really helped yeah. it happen it was much more like it was much more like you know like, like the like a film production type you know, like sort of like the hollywood model where everyone is good That's at their right. own individual areas and then there's a project that everyone unites behind and comes together and does an output and does it and then goes back off again and and does what they do best as opposed to having to spend 10 years of your life building a company with employees that are devoted to making this single type of product in this single type of niche and what's particularly cool about it too is that we're not in the same room you know mm-hmm. it's like we're, mm-hmm. we're designing stuff here in boston and we're shipping designs to proto labs and we're sending stuff to china and that was really powerful it's like we don't even have to be in the same room anymore it's pretty crazy yeah the, the hollywood model meets hardware is a it's a really fascinating concept if you think about yeah. it mm-hmm. i mean even beyond that I, I learned once that um movies are actually their own company so studios fund movies but as a as a financial vehicle they're their own thing 
So they're kind of like their small startup. Mm. Everybody comes together to bring it. It makes money and that will pay back the studio for the investment. Yeah. Even if you start to think about hardware or making things that almost exist as a Hollywood model. It's kind mm -hmm. of fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the movie, the corporation of the movie like rents the studio yes. from Paramount, which yes. might also be an investor in the movie, but it, but they keep it pretty pretty abstracted in the way that they in the way that they deal with it and so that they're always extracting their uh you know their costs of producing the movie and and keeping the the, the costs separated appropriately but it's like all the all the actual organizational structure is is very ad hoc which in some ways i don't know i don't know if this follows the hollywood metaphor and what's going on for today but it gives it the flexibility that can still evolve and change i think that's probably what we're coming out of in, in the hardware dark age is this sort of like reinventing some of the organizational model so you can do mm -hmm. these kind of pop-up things and so you can look at these powerful tools possibly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so marcelo as the designer how much were you thinking through the process how much were you aware during the process of the limitations of the manufacturing process how much were you thinking i want to make this design but i have to make it fit in this build envelope or i have to make it producible at this rate in a 3d printer or i have to make it fit in the in a shipping carton or something like that? I would say probably divide that process into two parts, I think. I mean, we were very aware of the limitations of the machines and, and what they could do, right? So we knew that we had to do a part that had a certain geometry so we could print it, but we're not aware of time. And mm -hmm. that's something that's really hard to, to measure, right? When you're designing, it's hard to say, hey, if I, maybe if I cut this little part a little bit shorter, this is gonna be an hour faster. Uh, and, and that we didn't do. And, and that we sort of just learned it as we went along and figured it out. Um, and, and I think that even the first part, even having a sense of what the limitations are in terms of the making of the stuff, I think that just has happened through experience of having mm -hmm. done it a bunch of times. Um, and, and, and that's what I was saying before, that I think it's really powerful that we can, we can design and print, design and print in, in parallel, because you can design something, print it, and be like, hey, that took too long. You know, can we make this simpler? And you can, you can continuously improve it, not just improve for the shape and form you want, but also for manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. as we rewind, <clears throat> at least for me, and I can't talk to it, I think the thing that is even more interesting than the 3D printing stuff is the pick and place machine. And I don't know how, mm -hmm. I mean, like talking through that, because your idea around design and print, design and print, my mind goes to the, maybe it's because mm -hmm. I, I work with 3D printers, but design and print, design and print for circuit boards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the iteration cycle for yeah. the 3D printer, I think, is, is pretty, I mean, that's one reason why 3D printing is really great as opposed to other, I mean, it has pros and cons when compared to all manufacturing processes but like one of the major selling points of 3d printing is that it really reduces the iteration time when you want to like get feedback on a design and the little mini pick and place machine that that seed studio is using for their stuff um came from shenzhen it's interesting because it's it's portable um but there's still a pretty big issue with it which is um the setup time is a big deal but the learning curve is a motherfucker and the learning, yeah. learning curve like i know i've got a lot of friends who who kind of hang out, out in shenzhen and huachang bay and everything and everyone goes there and sees these pick and place machines being sold on the street and like get stars in their eyes and they're so excited but then they buy them and realize that every single time they want to make something it's going to take like a day to set up the machine and, and so and that's a software problem right it's because yeah. the softwares that we're using to design circuit boards are not integrated with those machines they don't mm -hmm. know how the machines work so let's talk about what the pop-up factory was. David, what did this what did this all come from? So basically the inspiration from the pop-up factory came from when I went to China with Bonnie Huang and a group of Media Lab students a few years ago and it was really interesting to see the people in the factories actually making things. And you know, I knew that there was going to be people there and I knew that what kind of roughly what a factory was, but it wasn't until I actually got there and saw what it was like that it really made an impact and changed the actual way that I design things when I go back. Because, you know, you go there and you see people interacting with the parts, assembling things, um, 
you know, so like now when I'm designing something and I have an option to, you know, I can make this part just a little bit wider here because I know there's going to be a guy who has to handle it and snap this part into this other part. And if I make his life easier, then my life becomes easier because yields go up and everyone is happy. And just seeing kind of behind the curtain into the kitchen of where all of our products come from was a really powerful experience. And I think a lot of people don't have that perception when they go into an Apple store, when they go into Best Buy or something and to see all the shiny products that, you know, they, they just think that they, it just appears there and there's not really a big story behind it. And so the experience that we wanted to give with the pop-up factory is actually to kind of have a microcosm of this experience, which is we, where you walk in to solid and see an area where there is 3D printers manufacturing enclosures, where there's a SMT with a surface mount assembly line manufacturing circuit boards, where there's people programming the firmware in, where there's people doing the final assembly. And you know, you, you literally see a pile of parts and 3D printing resin on one side of the booth. And then on the other side, there's a guy who's actually like holding it up and it lights up and hands it across the counter to you. And it's actually a device that you can go and forth and use at the conference. So it's like seeing seeing the the, the moment of, of birth of, of an actual electronic device was the was the experience we wanted to give to people. And also it's a big audacious experiment because like no one's really tried to do live manufacturing of something directly before because most of the time you go to trade shows and it's like a machine demo that's just kind of making a test Running pattern. circles. Yeah. So we did all all of those things. <laughs> but it, it reflects a lot of different processes combined. Yeah. I mean, electronics are being made, um, you know, uh, surface mount uh, electronics are being made, enclosures are being made, there's assembly. It was, it was a really cool... Well, that's the trick experience. is that that's the trick is that it's... I mean, integration is a big thing, especially when you're engineering something and no one ever thinks about it. Like, this is the thing. I mean, I do this. You like we all like every single time, like you always think that integration is going to be easy, but it's never easy. So, so Marcella, do you want to tell the the story a little bit of how we actually ended up arriving with our with our fully formed pop up factory at the at the floor of the solid conference? Sure. Um, So. We we did part of the stuff in China and part of the stuff at the factory, right? At the pop up factory. Yeah, because we needed we needed to make fifteen hundred units. Exactly. So I think we did about a thousand in China, right? And mm-hmm. then the rest at the at the factory. So yeah, so the parts got shipped to San Francisco, and we, we basically arrived uh, at the offices. We were going to do the assembly at the same time that the parts arrived. I think we got there by like nine a.m. and the and the FedEx guy showed up at like nine twenty mm-hmm. with boxes of parts. Um, and we were kind of in a tough spot because it was just the two of us and we had to assemble a thousand wristbands in a day so that we could have the yeah, conference. So, so, we, had, so we had a bag of 1,500 neoprene wrist straps. We had a box of a thousand 3D, uh, sorry, a thousand injection mold and closures from Proto Labs that were individually that were individually wrapped, bagged, yeah, and and 1,500 circuit boards that are just fresh off the boat from China that were also individually bagged and batteries and three days and being tired from just having been in China and trying to put all this stuff together. So yeah. so um, so yeah. So the first thing we did was to go on Craigslist and put a post and say, hey, we need to help assembling this stuff. Who, who wants to come by and help out? And with, within an hour, we started getting a ton of emails and phone calls, and we, we had an entire team put together by midday. So then we went from midday until probably about midnight just assembling stuff all day. And we literally set up a little assembly line. We had parts coming in on one end and kind of going around this big boardroom table and product coming out of the other end. And it worked out really well. I was, I was really impressed how we managed to pull it off in the end. And, and I mean, we were probably dead for the entire weekend after yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. It was destroyed. But, but it worked out. But it was interesting. I mean, you always forget about don't don't discount what people can do. 
Like, I think we spend exactly. a lot of time yeah. in our heads thinking about machines, machines and how we're going to make machines that do everything for us in the future, and it's all going to be great. Um, but, like, people do a lot of stuff. The process and, of tooling up a person is really pretty easy. Compared yeah, yeah, to exactly. Like, you call them, and then they come in, and they sit down, and you're like, okay, I want you to do this like that. And they're like, like this? And you're like, no, I'll do it a little bit like that. And they're like, okay. And then Cause, I mean, the, you go and do it. Because, I mean, they're kind of like yeah. these two philosophies, right? If you have a problem, you throw robots at it, and the other way you just solve it is to throw people at it. And, and, and the, the nice thing is to find that sweet spot in between, right? Mm -hmm. To get some people stuff done and some robot stuff done. So, yeah. you, so the day before the conference, you now have about 1,000 assembled alike bands on the floor of O'Reilly AlphaTech Ventures, our office in uh, downtown San Francisco. And now it comes time to set up the pop-up factory, which is going to manufacture the remaining 500 live in front of people who are mm -hmm. in the exhibit hall. So, uh, Colin, walk us through the the experience that, that you see when you walk up to the pop-up factory. Well, so what you when you walk in, I think you, you get your conference pass, and there's a couple of... Um, exhibits right when you walk into solid there's, there's a 3d printed car um some other things and then there's this wall of 3d printers with people standing in front of it in a booth and as you ha head up and you get closer you'll see that there's a, a machine that's sort of creating circuit boards um you'll see people pulling things in and out of this 3d printer and processing them and then you see sort of an assembly line over to kind of put parts together and snap them together and then you see people walking up picking up the band and configuring the band using a uh, tablet. And then through sort of Wi-Fi, the, the tablet will be will program the band and then the band starts to glow. And now people head off into the conference and they start to meet people and they hold their bands up next to each other to sort of see how close their preference profile is. Um, and it was kind of a it was a it was a great thing. It's just like somewhere along the line, these these raw parts and materials turn into a device which is something else. You know, at some point it like you know, you put it in the test jig and you flash the firmware in it and the LED lights up with just the colors that we had programmed into it. And it was like, wow, this thing actually is working together and has become greater than the sum of its parts. And actually seeing the final thing allows you to tell the story about how it's made. So yeah. as you design it, you design it from exactly. parts to final. But as you understand it or kind of kind of grok all the things that are going on, you go from final and you start to dissect it. And I think that is just such a powerful story because it's almost impossible to take any of the things that we own or use daily and see it broken up and sourced. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, then having David there, he can actually talk to you about how, no, this pick and play stuff came from this place in China and go even deeper and deeper way off the pier. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, it's funny. You could literally walk backwards, right? You could get the product and be, okay, how'd you guys make this? And literally... <laughs> Literally walk and be like, oh yeah, this is where the circuit board gets assembled and this is where the stuff gets printed. And like, just like you were saying earlier, Marcelo, um, it was interesting, you know, people going around the conference and seeing their different unique um, enclosures that they had and coming back to the factory and wanting to change it. And like, you never really see that with our other consumer products. It's like, I get my iPhone and this is the iPhone that I have. But with the wristbands, it seems like because people got to see it being put together, they had a different perception of that object, right? It's like it's not its own thing. It it's made of it's a mutable. It's object, made of right? yeah, it's a it's mutable of, object. Like you know, it's, it's made, made of the of, process. It's made of this part. It's made of this other part. It's made of this other part. Oh, I see. Someone else has something that's similar to mine, but different. But now I understand. I can go back and like think about the actual things that that go into it. And it's really interesting too because after the after the conference, we got a lot of. Emails and phone calls of people asking if they could change the hardware, if they could add to whatever thing they're working on. People really got the sense that that stuff was hackable and changeable and mm -hmm. it could be integrated in each other's stuff too. I think one of the things that we wanted to emphasize at Solid by having the pop-up factory there is that, first of all, manufacturing is pretty accessible. It's like it's becoming part of the toolkit of a lot of creative people. 
it used to be that software is the only sort of thing you can turn to to create stuff if you want to do it quickly with minimal training, fast iteration. Now parts of hardware are joining that. And we, we know that Arduinos and Raspberry Pis are easy to, you know, to prototype on, to experiment with. The idea that manufacturing volume production manufacturing is something you can experiment with and bring people along into and, and use as part of your toolkit is really extraordinary. That's And that's really new. That's part of the kind of new hardware movement that we talk about at Solid. And I think so it, it did that. It, it it emphasized the accessibility of manufacturing and and how fast it can happen. I mean, not to not to minimize the expertise that went into it. Yeah, Marcelo and David, you yeah. both went to China and spent a lot of time there. You had worked with some of these suppliers before. You knew how to design electronics and have them made. Um, Colin, you and the folks at Formlabs knew a lot about rapid uh, manufacturing and, and quick iteration and, and setting up 3D printers for high throughput. But it is it is something that that a visitor could see, could sort of see themselves doing or see themselves interacting with. I think what's really cool, and you, and you, I think you mentioned that a little bit, is this idea of volume. I think volume is really the key. Like I remember, like my experience using computers I, when I was a kid, and you wanted software. You know, I had to find a friend that had a little floppy with some game or something you wanted, and you have to bring it home and copy. There was always this kind of physical tangibility to software, and eventually, when the internet came around. That just disappeared, right? You could just send software to whoever you wanted and find things. And I feel like now that's happening to hardware. Mm -hmm. It's becoming mm -hmm. really easy to reproduce hardware at incredible volumes. Yeah, this is something that Joey Ito talks about a lot, the idea of manufacturing as deployment. You know, you deploy software by putting it on an Amazon machine and, and sending it out into the world. You deploy hardware by getting it manufactured. Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes even, well, it becomes interesting to me also to think about the footprint and how the footprint can move around. So then... Possibly if these bands were made in, in different areas that had different environmental requirements or things, you can sort of tweak it. Or you can have um, people or makers finish it in a different way that's, you know, locally appropriate. I think Marcelo's point about the design iteration doesn't have to stop. And so the design iteration can actually become part of the deployment. Exactly. And that's the second thing that, that we wanted to illustrate with this is this idea of manufacturing as design input, that, that the full stack creative person, the full stack hardware creator needs to understand everything from kind of electrical engineering to software, embedded software and cloud software design, and the, the process by which these things are made. Um, that's Matt Jones's uh, term, manufacturing is design input. Mm -hmm. Understanding manufacturing makes you a better designer because manufacturing becomes not just a constraint, but something that you can use mm -hmm. to design to design better. Because yeah, it changes how you design your stuff. I mean, sure. once yeah. you understand what the actual process... I mean, if you're designing something before it can be made in quantities of thousands and tens of thousands, you have to teach somebody else or something else how to make it. And understanding that when you first do file new in your CAD software will save you a lot of time when it comes time to actually, like, get it done. Yeah. A lot of people who have even worked reasonably closely with electronics have never seen a pick-and-place machine in operation um, and or don't have a really tangible feel for how there's a pick and place machine and then there's a guy with a little soldering uh soldering gun and you know there's another person wearing gloves and snapping the things together and there's and only there's certain parts jig. that you can do automatically some have to be hand soldered on sometimes mm -hmm. they have to be hand soldered on before a different part of the process because maybe after you put this part on it doesn't fit in that test jig anymore mm -hmm. and you just have to really understand about moving physical things around is is physical yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think there's a kind of an interesting thing to think about too, right? I mean, so far we've been talking about what we've done, um, but what comes next? You know, what's missing? I realize that there are a lot of things about that process that could have been better or will mm -hmm. become better. 
um, you know, we could have more, I don't know, things that could be more modular or easier to integrate, easier to replace and take out and make something new. Um, because a lot of the tools that we use in that industry don't really talk really well to each other. You know, it's hard, like we were talking about pick and place before, right? It's really hard to program it. And why is it hard? Why, why shouldn't it be easier? And mm -hmm. how could the pick and place be somehow aware of the 3D printer and have some, you know? Yeah. Imagine if it doesn't give you nightmares as a designer and engineer. Chile, um, Chile. A, a pop-up factory that has like three different production lines in parallel and you can grab your um, your device and bring it from production line to production line, substituting in modules from each one. So, you know, one of them is making a phone, one of them is making an MP3 player, one of them is yeah. making a, you know, a, a light-up wristwatch. Um, you start at the phone one, you got the phone enclosure, you take it to the MP3 production line you get the mp3 electronics and then you take it to the watch production line nice. and they snap a band on it that's a good idea i like yeah i like it because like it's like all of our consumer products really are kind of becoming the same thing on the inside it's like a beefy processor and some kind of sensors and some kind of connectivity and maybe a couple of other random things but like have you guys seen the uh the refone project that seed studio launched yeah, um, it's like a modular phone. Yeah, it it's looks a really cool. it's a MediaTek. It's a mm -hmm. modular phone, and so and so you get the modules for it, and it comes with a little bit of craft paper, so you can wrap it up and have your own custom phone and draw on it. But it's designed so you snap together different modules. So like, if you want a camera, you snap the camera module on. If you want a sensor, you snap the sensor module on, and then you can like make your own enclosure for it. So, you know, they have a demo where it's like make your dog collar and and right. put it on your dog, and you can call your dog and like tell him to come home or. But what if you don't want that? What if you want a sensor about if your kite's getting too high, you strap it onto your kite and then it goes up this high. But if you want a phone, you can use it for that. And it's really cool too. I mean, I like to think about the day where we're not going to have a world of prototyping modules and a world of products. But I like to think that those things are going to merge, right? Eventually, mm -hmm. products are going to be those modules and they're going to all come together to make a product they use for a year and then you take it apart and become something else. Yeah, I, I also love the idea of manufacturing embracing some sort of ephemerality because because you can imbue meaning through it. So just like you're talking about, this thing is meant to change or it's meant to be very small batch. It's kind of almost like, you know, like uh, Moog synthesizers do this. They sort of have very short runs of things. They're all analog and they're all made in a way that um, that actually creates a lot of value because the, the device can only create certain sounds. And there are people that are deep in that. But what would be interesting to me is if you had a pop-up factory at like the Moog Festival and then people are creating... Sounds fun. Right? And But then now you have people that know a lot about analog circuitry and you have ways to put them together and new ways to interface with them. And then you can start to create yeah. small batches of music instruments that you would never, they just won't exist. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to have like a design and manufacturing gem where it's like, where it's like a weekend where you start. That and, would be, that's design, a hackathon I wouldn't. Design something wouldn't and then it has hate. to be manufactured. <laughs> oh yeah, it sounds awful, but like. No, it's a hackathon I wouldn't hate because yeah, you're like, yeah. well, it's got to manufacture yeah. something. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it sounds very high stress, but like we we could almost do it, you know, like we're at that point of like having all that stuff where like how fast can you get something from your brain into quantity is is a really question that, that I think we're all very interested in. I'd also love to see kind of um this idea done either in a in a children's museum yeah. so they can understand mm -hmm. or a science museum so that that understanding creates so much agency so now you can break things apart in ways that you just can't because science museums are about the very cutting edge or these these ideas that are just theoretical um or an art museum imagine mm -hmm. if if you did it you know sort of at the ICA or the MoMA and and the artist was there to make you know 300 of a thing yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you like it it almost like the the doctor is in the manufacturer is in yeah. you walk up to the booth and you're like i want i want a 
I have an idea for a device that, you know, connects to your phone and and then it connects to this and it lights up this way and, and does this. It's a factory is a design tool. 10 minutes later. Yeah. Some sort of algorithm. It's kind of what you guys did. It was, it was really, really phenomenal because it's so unique. Yeah. It was an incredible, it felt like a very new experience altogether. I mean, to, to walk up and see that. And I think it was a cool, you know, extreme illustration for a lot of people there. There are a lot of people there who are, you know, product developers in some broad sense. And these people have seen firsthand this process shift. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, developing a new toy, there's a guy there that I spent a long time speaking with um, who, who has developed a new line of connected toys for a really large entertainment company. And um, he's gone from the era just a few years ago when developing a new toy was something that you did um, through, a, you know, a long development cycle of several years in consultation with embedded systems engineers and all these DFM people who are keeping the costs way down, um, a very specialized process. And now he developed this new line of toys as a, someone with a software background and a team that was also kind of a generalized design and technology background. And they were able to spin this thing up really quickly. He was one of a lot of people that I saw coming over and, and looking at what you guys were doing because you were sort, sort of presenting the, the extreme evolution of this process that product developers from every background have have watched happen. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Marcelo Coelho, Colin Rainey. Really appreciate your coming by. Thank you guys thank for you. having us. It's, it's a pleasure to talk with you thank as you. always. All right, thanks. See you guys. Thanks. For links and other information related to this week's episode, visit O'Reilly.com slash hardware and send your questions and comments to hardware at O'Reilly.com. If you enjoyed the program, make sure you've subscribed on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really enjoyed it, consider leaving us a review. Until next time, I'm David Craner. And I'm John Bruner. <laughs>